being good. Let me pray, and we'll ask God to uh, just be with us and to speak in new and powerful and significant ways as we spend time with him and his word. God, we're just uh, thrilled to be here today, and, and, be, and we're thrilled, Lord, to be at the vision launch, <clears throat> to hear you speak and to hear what you have spoken to the leadership of this congregation. Lord, to inspire the hearts of your people that we might know what you are calling us to as we go forward. Lord, we just want to thank you for this church as it is, how we can come together today and worship you, people with hearts aligned in the praise of God, just so incredibly grateful for what you have done for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Um, to seek after you with all of our hearts until we come to that place where we just see the heavens open and great blessing just poured upon us. So Lord, we're here to listen and we're here to, to learn from your word and we're here to be people of faith and to dream big dreams. We pray that you'll meet us now <clears throat> in this book, in this time, Lord, we pray that we might know your grace, your goodness, and your love once again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Well, here we are at the vision launch. Who's looking forward to the vision launch party? Yeah? Yeah, you don't like pulled pork, I gather. But I'm going to enjoy it, and I hope you do too. And it's wonderful to have two uh, services, which we often have, 9 and 11, being together as we really uh, together address the reality of what God has for us in the future. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a Sunday to talk about the power of vision from a biblical perspective. Um, and at the end of the service, we're going to have the big reveal. I'm going to read to you the, uh, the vision uh, statement that has been prayed over and worked over, as I'll describe to you by the elders of this church, for more than a year. We're also going to look at our mission statement, which is new for us, and we'll talk a little bit about our byline, which is behind us. Um, and next week, what's going to happen, because the vision is the big picture concept of where we're headed, and over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you all the specifics, and, and, and you know, there's so much, I certainly couldn't do it all on a Sunday. And we're excited about what God is leading us to. And so excited about, about uh, the idea of vision in the church. But I want to start with the question simply of why. Why would we bother with vision? Why would we bother with dreaming the big dream of, of thinking about what might be? My gut tells me a lot of people are really happy with where IPC is at the moment. I just stood here listening to you singing and, <clears throat> and the conviction in your hearts for God. You know, why would we think about what the future might look like or about what the future could become? Uh, considering the church that we have now, and the answer is incredibly simple. The answer very simply is because vision is the way of God. And I want you to hold this truth in your heart and embrace it. Time after time after time in the Bible, through giving vision, God spurred his people on to make great impact for him. Think of Abraham, you know. Abraham, God comes and says, if you will go to the land that I will lead you to, I will make a nation of you that will bless the whole world. Like that is a mind-shattering kind of vision. That's a remarkable thing for a man to take hold of and to think, God is going to do that in me? Think about Moses. You know, the people of Israel were suffering in Egypt. And God came to Moses and said, I want you to go and confront Pharaoh, the king, the powerful king of the nation, and I want you to lead my people out because there's a promised land to which we are going. There's a place where we are headed that is going to be fantastic and, and remarkable. Uh, uh, that I have for you. Incredible vision. Think about Joshua. Moses didn't get to cross into the land, but Joshua was told, you will lead these people, and every place you put your foot, 
I will give to you. I've already given it. It's done. I will go ahead of you. I will be acting for you. Think about Nehemiah who said, God said, you rebuild those walls of Jerusalem and I will restore the worship of God in that place and the glory of God will be known again. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, vision is given and it produces great impact for God. You know, the New Testament is no different. Paul, I want you to be the apostle to take the message of Jesus to the Gentile world, to the whole world, except for a little group of people who are the Jewish people and I've got them covered, God says. And someday the whole world will know of Christ because of you. Think of Jesus. You know, you know the Lord Jesus came and, and, and he knew that he was coming because through his life and his death and his resurrection, God was going to do something powerful. He was going to bring his kingdom on earth that one day would and will someday cover the face of the earth. Think about a vision that Christ himself had. I could go on and on and on. You see, my friends, God gives specific and, uh, a specific and clear picture of a preferable future to his people so that they can see what yet might be, what isn't yet, but what might be if we just follow after him with passion and in faith. And each of these nine sentences, which compose our vision statement, it's very different than what we've done before. Each of these nine sentences that I'll read to you in just a little while begins with, we see a blank church which it's like with our mind's eye we can see a church functioning already which is not yet so that in five years or in ten years this this reality will have been given to us by the lord himself so that so that we when we see that dynamic when we see that reality then we come to a place where we can give our lives to the thing that god has called us to do you see the power of vision in scripture the incredible incredibly significant place that god has given to it so I want to start today in this journey that's going to take us over the course of a number of Sundays with a biblical study in one of those times God gave vision to an individual named Noah. Have you studied the Noah passage before? And you know, God came to Noah and he said, I want you to build an ark. Well, he didn't actually because the word ark's not in the Bible. Did you know that? We've added that in there. But it's this huge ship. We're going to see a picture of it because there's a theme park in the States that Bill has built a life-size replica. It's a massive thing. God comes to Noah and he says, hey, I got a job for you to do. Here's the vision. What will you do with it? Let me read this text to you. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 22. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. I don't think that's the text I wanted, actually. And I think the guys just realized it. <laughs> it's a nice fact, you know. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to... Um, who would like to live 930 years, you know? Like... Uh, I don't know. Okay, here we go. This looks a little more familiar. I can stop sweating now. <laughs> the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. Note that. On the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Whoa. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Another translation said that in his heart was pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. 
So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. What an incredible, incredible text. What I want to do for you today, my friends, is just unpack what vision is, biblically speaking. I want to teach you the biblical reality of vision, point by point by point from this text. And I want us to get a hold of this and say, Lord, what does this mean for us? And I want to begin by saying this vision is always, it is always formed out of great need, but it is always part of the saving action of God. You understand that? It's always part of what God is doing to save his people. Situation in Noah's day was really dire from God's perspective. You heard me read it. The evil inclinations of the heart, the violence that covered the earth, the idea that wickedness had taken root to that extent, and God grieved the reality in verses 11 and 12. I'm just going to have the, word, the verses put up, but I want you to note as, as they are there that the word corrupt is used three times. In this text, things were incredibly get bad from God's perspective. You see, God had created the world, if you would, with a vision. God had created the world and all the people in the world that they might know him and that they might love him and that they might follow after him. And the people had turned away from God. They had abandoned God and they had abandoned God's way. They had entered into sin and they had embraced it fully. And from God's perspective, this was a terrible thing. And he grieved the fact of the creation And there was pain in his heart because of it. He was brokenhearted, another text says. And God determines to bring judgment against the world. What happens in your heart when I say that? See, we live in a world right now where judgment is a bad thing. We're never supposed to judge anybody about anything, so the culture tells us. Even Christ followers come along and say, we are not the ones to judge. And that's true because Jesus told us, you're not the ones to judge. But we're not the ones to judge because God is the one who will judge. And this is the witness of Scripture. The Bible teaches from beginning to end that we're all accountable to God. And in Christ, someday, he will judge every person. And I want to tell you, this is, this, this is not one of those situations where people come back and say, oh, that's only the Old Testament, and that's the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. It's the same in the New Testament. Let me read Je uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18 for you. John chapter 3, 16, that incredible verse that 
probably is the most famous verse in the whole world. It speaks to the reality of what God has done for us and the salvation that Jesus offers to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it goes on to say, for God not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now listen. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the hard truth of Scripture. That all of our, the human race stands condemned because of the reality of our rejection of God and God's way. And, and, and the reality is that God has sent Christ that he might die on a cross to save us. You see, without judgment, we have no need of salvation. Without judgment and condemnation, we have no need of a Savior to come and die on the cross that we might be saved from judgment and condemnation. And essentially, the story of Scripture, and I want to say, say to you the story of Noah is a story of God coming into a dire circumstance to bring salvation to Noah, to his family, and quite frankly, to the human race. This is the gracious action of God that we see, see played out in this story. Now, what God does here in this vision is invite God into this story. He, in, he, he is invited, Noah is invited into God's story of what God is doing in the world. Noah is invited to participate in the saving action of God. My friends, I want to tell you this is exactly the same with us. You know, think of our world, and you know, I don't know how you perceive our world or, or, or what's going on in your heart when you look at our world, because sometimes the world changes and we're so used to what is that it doesn't strike us as particularly bad. <laughs> but I want to tell you this, from God's perspective, our circumstance is dire. From God's perspective, things are really bad, and there's a tremendous need for people to be saved. There's a tremendous need for God to act in salvation, and in vision, he invites us, and I would suggest he is inviting us to participate in what he wants to do in this time and in this place. Boy, the power of vision and the significance of it. Number two, vision is given by God, and it is simply discerned by his people. We're going to read the first few words of uh, verse 13 of chapter 6. So God said to Noah. God said to Noah. You see, God came along into Noah's life, and God spoke. And God, God entered into his life and, 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 and asked him to participate. It wasn't Noah's idea to build an ark or a ship. <laughs> it would have been impossible for him to think, hey, this is a good idea. It would have been impossible for him to even dream up the, the possibility he didn't know a flood was coming. Why would he go to the bother of building this massive ark in the middle of a desert land where there was no water? All Noah did was discern it from God. He heard it from God and was willing to embrace that vision and run after it with his whole heart. I want to tell you, my friends, um, God speaks the vision and it is simply for us to hear. It is for us to discern. And as a result, we as the elders of this church, the leaders, leaders of this church, have given great time and effort to this. And it's not one elder's opinion over another. It's not a congregation member's opinion over an elder's opinion or anything in that fashion. It is simply going to God and saying, Lord, what do you wish for us in for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years down the line? 
You know, and I hope that you are incredibly thankful for those who are serving as leaders in this church right now because they have given themselves to this with faithfulness and with commitment and with absolute passion because they know how incredibly important this is for our church. And by the way, I want to say how thankful we are to Colin Harbinson, who is sitting right over here, who has facilitated this process for us in a remarkably gifted fashion. Colin has done this for universities across North America and corporations, and somehow he ends up in Interkip, Ontario, so that he can facilitate the process for us. Isn't that awesome? Fantastic. Thank you, Colin. My friends, we have given ourselves to Scripture as elders time after time after time. We have prayed together and we've prayed a lot. We have listened together for the voice of God. We have had extra meetings, a boatload of them, ha, 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 but a lot of extra meetings. We have gone on two retreats over the course of a year. We have, we have pursued the mind of God and we feel we have heard from the Lord. I just want you to know that. Uh, we, we really do believe that what we are presenting to you today is from God, and now we're asking you essentially to do the same. Not in the sense that we want you to say, well, we like this part, but we think you should get rid of that part. No, 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 no. But to say, is this indeed from God? Is what these men and women have struggled to hear, is it truly what the Lord has spoken into their lives? And I want to tell you, my friends, when we can come together and we can say, this is from God, we will become a powerful church in the hand of the Lord. We will. And we will get caught up in the saving action of God. And this world will be changed simply because we, we listened well and we discerned well. Number three, vision requires faith. And usually a lot of it, quite frankly. It requires faith. Think of Noah. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, um, by the way, I want you to set aside your life and your job and your other preoccupations and I want you to build this huge ship because through you I'm going to save humanity. What would you say? What would you do? I want you to watch this with me. Oh, yeah? Well, my camel knows more about boats than you. Noah, you're not a sailor yet, so don't start talking like one. Oh, it's just those idiots out there. They get to me, you know? Haven't you heard them? They're laughing at me constantly. They point and they whisper, what's crazy old Noah doing today? And when I try to explain, they just laugh louder. I don't know if I can take much more of this. Noah, you're the one that keeps telling me God has a plan you know, to trust him. So listen to your own words. Remember, God has a plan for you and that big floating thing. It's not called the big floating thing. I keep telling you. Sorry, dear. What is it called again? Oh, it's... An ark. Yeah, it says so right there. Uh, of course, dear. I'll remember that for next time. Noah... Since you've brought all this up, I need to tell you something. I'm starting to have some real misgivings about this whole ark thing. Misgivings? Like what? Well, it, it just doesn't seem anything like you, Noah. You're a man that has everything planned out, even to the last details taken care of. 
But ever since God's told you about building this ark, throwing our family and all those animals in it, I mean, you're going at this thing like you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, Look at it, it's huge. Uh, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. There's three decks, I mean, it's big enough to, big enough to. Big enough to hold two of every kind of animal. Yes, two of every kind. (laughs) I know, God told us that. He also told me everything I need to know about how to build it. Noah, this isn't funny. I know you're working really hard out there, but I don't think you understand how hard it is for the rest of us. What are you talking about? I thought you said everybody was handling it just fine. Well, I haven't been completely honest with you. The fact of the matter is, we are all having our doubts. Well, what kind of doubts? Just the other day, the children came home crying their eyes out because they're being teased about their lunatic grandfather and his landlocked boat. Uh, the merchants at the marketplace, they don't want us coming there anymore because the laughing is, is disrupting their bargaining. And me? I haven't been asked to a single lady's basket-weaving social for months. <sighs> Noah, are, are you sure you've heard God right? It's what he told us to do. Uh, It's not easy on me either. Do you think I enjoy being ridiculed for having built a gigantic boat in the middle of the desert? I I know there's no water anywhere nearby. What's God expect us to do? Hook up two oxen and pull? I don't know. Maybe it'll rain. (laughs) Right. Do you know how much rain it would take to float a boat that size? It'd have to rain continuously for, I don't know, 30 days and nights. Maybe even 40. Maybe. But it's what God told us to do. Noah, I don't mean to question God, but like, this whole thing seems so abnormal. What do you mean? How does God expect us to react to something like this? Putting our whole family in that thing with all those birds and animals and reptiles? Do you know what it's going to smell like in there after a few days? And, and how are we supposed to keep them all happy and fed? Do you know how many peanuts it's going to take to feed an elephant for that amount of time? And that 500-pound gorilla, where do you think he's going to go? I understand your misgivings. We just have to remind ourselves that, that God has it all worked out. And it'll make sense to us soon enough. Even through all the doubts, we just have to remember God's in control. And sure... It's, it's easy to have doubts sometimes, but, but God is in control. He can do this. I don't know what God's plan is for all of this, but I trust him. You know what? Do you think God understands exactly what he's asked us to do here? Well, he's never let us down before, and he's not going to start now. I mean, I get scared too sometimes, but even through all the questions... I know that God is in control. And certainly, certainly a God who's powerful enough to create everything and powerful enough to destroy it is powerful enough to deal with our uncertainties concerning his ark. I know the world looks bad, but even through all this, I keep coming back to that one simple phrase. I trust God. He'll get us through this. You're a good man, Noah. And if God wants me to be shut up on an ark with all those animals, I'm sure glad he chose you to be with me.
grab the peanuts and get packing. Oh, and the gorilla, he sits wherever he wants. See, my friends, Moses, Noah's response, I was determined not to do that because I've talked a lot about Moses with a vision, haven't I? But Moses... <laughs> oh, dear. I'm a professional, you know. I do this for a living. <laughs> Noah's response was one of faith, which evidenced itself in obedience. Let me read verse 22 for you. In the same chapter, it says this. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And I want to tell you, when God invites us into his story, when he invites us to accomplish significant things for him, he requires of us faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7, that great chapter about people of great faith, says this, By faith Noah warned about things not yet seen. In holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. My friends, as, as we hear vision today, we are called to believe, if we have heard and discerned well, to step out in faith to accomplish something of great significance for God. And we're inviting you to join us in this in a very significant and meaningful way. Number four, vision has scope. By that, I mean vision is big. Um, you know, we were meeting as elders in one of these retreats, and we met on a Friday night and, and um, talked about the vision as it was forming up, it was coming along. And I went uh, to bed that night, and I honestly believe God woke me up early Saturday morning. And I got up, and I prayed, and I started making notes, and I started to, to, to try to figure out what was troubling my soul. And in the end of the day, what I came to, I mean, the day, end of the, that early, early morning experience, I came to the, to the point where I met with, uh, you know, uh, where I realized that in the end of the day, the vision wasn't big enough. It was, it was too doable. It was too easy. It was manageable by a bunch of people such as ourselves. And I, and, and I thought, of, I thought of, of, of Noah and what, he, what we had been studying just the night before. And I went to the elders in our first session, like 8.30 with coffee and muffins and everything. And I said to them, you know, God didn't ask Noah to build a small boat. You know, a 12-foot schooner. <laughs> they could probably built in his garage and no one would have seen, right? God asked Noah to build this huge ship. And I want to show you a picture of it because literally there's a life-sized replica of the ark in, a, in, a, in an amusement park in the United States of America. Look at the size of that thing. It is massive. It is a football field and a half long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. It's huge. And, and you know, God came to him and he said, do this for me in faith and in obedience. I want to tell you in, in, in the Bible, when God gives vision, it is big, so much so that when people hear it, you, they usually balk at it. They say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, are you sure, God? Or I'm not the guy to get this done because I can't manage that. Vision has scope, and it challenges a people in order to trust and have faith in the God. And that leads us to point number five. Vision is accomplished only by the direct intervention of the Lord. Um, it, is Im it is impossible to accomplish by human strength alone. 
I want you to think about the people of Israel after they had been flee, freed from slavery and they came to the edge of the promised land, the, the, the land that God had promised to them, this incredible place of blessing. And, 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 and 12 spies were sent in to kind of check it out and two of them come back and said, hey, we can do this, God will help us do this. And 10 of them said, no, no, those people are huge. We'll get slaughtered if we go in there. And the people of God said no to the vision that God had given to them and for 40 years they wandered like an aimless individual nameless community until the next time God led them back to that place of promise <laughs> and God said to Joshua every place you put your foot I've given it to you this land will be yours and I'm going to accomplish it for you I go before you I'm going into ahead of you and I will do it Think of the first battle that they fought once they crossed over. It was at Jericho. And, and I'm sure the warriors were ready to go. Let us at these guys. We can manage this. We'll win the victory. And through their leader Moses, God said, no, no, no. What I want you to do is I want you to march around the, uh, the city once a day for seven days. And the seventh day's day, I want you to march seven times. And I want you to toot your little horns. And what happened on the seventh day when they marched seven times in obedience and in faith to the voice of God and they blew their trumpets, the walls collapsed. Who destroyed those walls and who gave them the victory? It was the action of God. Do you see the point, my friends? With vision, it, the glory always goes to the Lord. It is required that he be involved and that he make an impact and that he bring the victory so much so that people stand back in awe of the living God. Churches which are visionary are churches which see God move in power. And they're just left remar uh, stunned with the remarkable things that God does among them. You want to be part of that? Man, I do. You know, years ago when we decided to build this building, we needed to borrow $3.2 million, uh, including our bridge financing, in order to, uh, to build. And, 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 of course, we went ahead and did it. And um, as a step of great faith, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and uh, there was somebody from beyond our church that I heard after the fact who said this, they should have known better, but they said this, those people will never pay that back. <laughs> it's not doable. And, and I want to say again, we need to be so thankful for the elders who were serving then, who knew that God was leading them, who were prepared to act in faith, and who knew that God would enable them to do what he was calling them to do by providing for us. And now our mortgage is a fraction of what it once was. Remarkable. What about this story of, of Noah? You know, most pointedly, can I say this? Can I ask this? How did Noah get two of every kind of animal into the ark? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about Noah's response to God saying, this is what I want you to do? Let me read to you. Chapter 7, verse 8 of Genesis. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground. Oh, we need the next verse. I'll just read it from here, because it's in this book. Male and female came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. What happened? They came to Noah as God had commanded. God intervened in a dramatic way to preserve the life of the animals. My friends, I want to tell you, it's just the same dynamic with us. It's got to be the same dynamic with us. We who are given vision, we who discern vision as it comes from God, we who are ready to hear and to respond by faith and obedience and stepping out, have got to trust that God will accomplish what seems impossible at times for us to get done. 
And I want to say two things about the vision, which I'm going to read to you very shortly. When I read this vision, you're going to see two things. Number one, there is great consistency between the visions that we have developed in the past and what you see here. We, we have not been led to do things dramatically different. The application, how we're going to make it happen, is dramatically different, and that you'll hear about over the next few weeks. But there's a consistency to it. One of the differences is what we have learned to do as a church, as a large church, is we have figured out in the last, say, five years what it means and what is required in order for us to see these things become a reality some of which you have seen before in previous visions. We have learned that we need an executive pastor like Carl. Yay, Carl. Because Carl has come among us. He, he reports to me. He serves under me and under him serve the staff. And the elders, myself included, we think big picture. We think about things like vision and dreaming big dreams and where God is leading us. And we give the vision to Carl and, and the team and they go off to operationalize it and make it happen. We need that. We've learned we've needed that. We've needed to build a solid foundational foundation in terms of the administration of the church. We've beefed up our office operation, and it's significantly more than it ever was. We've learned as a session, as elders, how to function in a new structure where we are a governance board, and we're keeping our hands off the, the details, if you would, leaving that to the staff, uh, and to develop the policies that take us forward, the vision primarily, primary among those things. We have... We have really seen, seen things change in our church so that we can, can move forward with confidence that God can work among us. So that's number one. You're going to see this consistency with what has gone before. Number two, you will be tempted to think there's no scope in that, possibly. I'll say two things to you. If you think that, you haven't read carefully enough the wording of these statements, nine of them. They have been wordsmithed at length. Very careful. Colin's laughing. We have spent hours and hours and hours to try to get this right because there is huge scope in this vision. And you know what? You'll see as the weeks go along that this is a big vision which God is calling us to. The application of these statements is going to take faith and obedience and trust. It's going to take the intervention of God Almighty. Here's how I want to finish just before we, we go to what we have. My friends, this world needs Christ desperately. If you can't see that reality, I say to you, immerse yourself in the scripture and see the world from God's perspective, and it will break your heart. It will break your heart. This world needs salvation in Jesus. And through this vision, God is inviting us into his story. He's inviting us to partner with him in ways of his choosing, so we believe to make impact in this world in a way that we wouldn't if we didn't have the vision that he's given. And we're asking you to dream the big dream. We're asking you to see the vision of what could be, that the Lord might work in a saving way, both for individual people and in this world at large, so that the kingdom of God might come in power. And can I ask you just before I read this thing, what will this difference will this make not only for us but for you? Are you willing to participate in the life-transforming story of God so that incredible things happen for his glory and for the good of his world? Now, are you ready to hear the vision? Yeah, not really? Oh, you are! Thank you, thank you. I would have been somewhat anticlimactic if you had said no. I want to do three things. I'm going to start with our byline. That you're going to see this all over the place, living the story. And our greatest desire is that people will say, Liv living what story? Living God's story. 
God is at work, and he has been at work since, since the Garden of Eden. He's going to be at work until Revelation when Christ comes again and the world knows the Lord and lives according to the way of God. And this world is a world of justice and of righteousness and of love and of grace, and he invites us into his story to live it, to allow it to transform who we are, to, to embrace it with passion. And we're inviting you to do that. Number two, I'm going to read to you our mission statement. The mission statement essentially... Uh, it will be familiar to you because it reflects somewhat what our previous vision was. But the mission says, tells us the why. Why are you doing what you are doing? We exist to introduce people to Jesus, not to connect, because we realized we couldn't connect people to Jesus. Only God can, but we can introduce them to him. To deepen our faith, not the faith anymore. We're journeying together as the people of God to participate in God's life-transforming story, as I just described to you, and to serve others at home and around the world. You see the critical words introduced, deepen, participate, and serve. That's why we do what we do. This is the summation of the whole deal. Now, let me read to you the nine vision statements. The one vision statement with nine sentences. By the way, you're all going to be given a copy of the Gospel of John, a book which focuses on the centrality and the divinity of Jesus. Inside the front cover and the back cover is our vision statement for you to take home and think about and pray about, will you? And it says this. Uh, we see a thriving church where people are being formed into spiritual, spiritually mature followers of Jesus. That's at the heart of this thing. The people of God becoming like Christ, transformed and made new in him. How? By the transforming power of God's word. And we have initiatives and we have focuses that we're going to bring so that we all deepen profoundly in our knowledge of scripture and by the healing work of the Holy Spirit of God. So often, our woundedness keeps us from moving forward in, in discipleship. And we have concrete ideas, once again, to make this happen. Living passionately to see God's kingdom come in every area of life. Who would like to participate in such a thing? Statement number two. And I told them I would uh, coach them this. We see a faithful church. A faithful church. Gathering together. And the togetherness in this is really important. To remember and to celebrate the redemptive story of what God has done in Christ. Jesus and his salvation remain central to IPC. That will never change. And the worship, the, God, the, the, the salvation that God brings to us in him. Worshiping joyfully and praying expectantly for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Central dynamics. Central critical functions that we will do. We will worship God and we will pray that God will bless us in power. Number three, we see a loving church where people journey together, note that, and find authentic community within life-changing small group settings where meaningful relationships are formed, faith is deepened, and spiritual gifts are released to the glory of God, to, to the glory of God and to serve others. You know, we have a vision for small groups. It, it maintains itself. We're going to give ourselves to see this reality unfold. Next, we see a compassionate church following Christ's example to care for those going through difficult and painful experiences in life. And how many of us live there? And how many of us know people who live there? Tangibly demonstrating God's love by walking with them to a place of healing, restoration, and renewed joy. We are going to focus ourselves on that and bless people uh, by, by uh, the grace and the compassion of the, of the Lord Jesus. We see a nurturing church supporting and equipping parents to effectively pass on a living Christian faith to their children. The day has to end when, our, when kids leave this church and they fall away from the faith and they fall away from the church. We, 
That day has got to end, my friends. So we see this nurturing church where we support and equip parents to effectively pass on a living Christian faith to their children, preparing the next generation to be grounded followers of Jesus, ready to make a significant difference in the world. We want to see wave after wave after wave of young people leaving this church as young adults to go make an impact in this culture. That's vision, right? Fantastic. We see a visionary church where gifted leaders encourage and support God's people in the implementation of all aspects of the vision and mentor emerging leaders to serve in the church and become agents of change in the world. We need to see a generation of leaders rise up in this congregation and to be trained so as to lead the many ministries that we, we envision uh, fulfilling the desires of this, of this vision itself. And we're excited about that. We see a creative church embracing the imagination as a gift from God to every person where innovative approaches to life and faith abound. Circle the words imagination and innovation. Where these approaches to life and faith abound and creative arts flourish the truth, and the truth and beauty is expressed and truth and beauty is expressed with excellence in the language of our culture. And that's not just in a worship on a Sunday morning. That is throughout the ministry of this church and throughout our lives. Next one, we see a growing church where people share what God is doing in their lives through stories of personal transformation. That's you and me. That draw many people to faith in Jesus and impact the region in such a way that, listen, one location cannot possibly contain a blessing. What does that mean? Well, you have to come back and find out, but it's going to be cool. We're going to, we're going to impact not only our region, but we want to see that, that impact expand. And we see a serving church. Critical word for us over these, this, this last season of life as a congregation. A serving church compelled by God's love and motivated by Christ's commission, actively engaged at home and around the world in mission endeavors that enable individuals and communities to find wholeness and eternal hope in Jesus. Man, we want to make a difference. We want to continue to be that church that goes into the world to make impact for God. There, my friends, is the vision statement, the mission statement of our congregation as we go forward and the, and the byline which we will use. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for food, and then we're going to go together. As you go, you'll all be offered one of these little books. Take it home. Pray over this vision. Discern. Hear from the Lord as we have. And uh, we're going to have... Uh, you're going to see something of significance on the wall to your left as you leave here. We wanted to take this vision and make it part of who we are. That's all I'm going to say right now. I have a couple of things I don't want to forget. The meal is there for us. Everybody is welcome to come. The Gospel of John is available for you. And there's something to read as you leave this vision, which will define our church as we go forward for the next many years as we seek to know and do the will. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we're thankful. Oh, we're so thankful that you come into our lives and you challenge us to reach beyond what even we think we can do on our own in order that you might work powerfully among us. God, make us a church which is a visionary church. Make us a church which is a faithful and an obedient church, Lord God. Make us a congregation where you are working through us simply because we say yes to what you have spoken. God, as we pray about these things, as we hear about them over these next weeks, we just look for you to bring the life and the vitality of vision, the passion of vision into our hearts so that indeed as we have heard and as we give ourselves in obedience to what you have called, Lord God, that we might be that church through which you make great impact 
as you did through Abraham, as you did through Noah, as you did through Moses, as you did through Nehemiah. Lord, as you have done in this unfolding story, let us be part of it with passion and with conviction and with incredible effectiveness for the sake of Jesus. Our God, this we pray in his name. Amen. Are you feeling more inspired and encouraged than ever? We are going to sing that song that we started with about unstoppable God. And let's just go out into this week living it, knowing that the God who raised Jesus from the dead lives within each and every one of us. Would you stand to your feet and let's worship. Praise for 